series called I'm In. And the real challenge here is for us to all know you're important and that God wants you to say to him, I'm in. Whatever it is you want to do in my life, through my life, through your church, I'm in. I am 100% in. Because the thing that we all know is that we were created, as humans, we were created to be in community with each other. We were created to be in relationship with God and relationship with others. We were created for connection. But what happens because of our sin nature is that we drift toward isolation and begin to think, well, I'm not that important. If I wasn't here, people really wouldn't miss me. I'm not really making that big of a difference. So we tend to drift to isolation when God designed us and, by the way, designed his church to be a place of community. The church is not a building in which you go. It's a community in which you grow. And then you step into what God wants you to do. So I'm in. And today we're going to talk about how you're invaluable. You're invaluable. You're invaluable to God. And before you go, wait a second, that doesn't sound very right. Invaluable does not mean of no value, okay? Sometimes we think about the word invaluable and think, wait a second, what does that really mean? Is, that a, is he like, is he, is he slandering me? No, listen, invaluable according to the dictionary, it means valuable beyond estimation. In other words, you can't even affix a price to it. You know, we ask questions like, what is the human life worth? We don't, that is, that is something that is invaluable. You can't put a price tag. It is beyond estimation. Now, how many of you own something that you would say is valuable beyond estimation? It's something that's become very precious to you. Maybe it's something that you were, uh, that you were inherited or something that you've kept over your childhood and now is invaluable to you. I got to tell you, I got some Star Wars figures stored away in a box from the 1970s that are invaluable to me. Unfortunately, they're not still in the original box, so they aren't valuable to really anybody else, but they're invaluable to me. I almost let Chad play with them, almost. (laughs) But they're invaluable to me. Maybe you have something that to you is invaluable. It is beyond estimation. I brought something today that's that's invaluable to me as well. It's not a Star Wars figure, Um, but it's this. Isn't that beautiful? You're going, Kelly, what, are you, what's, what is it? What's so invaluable? And now you're curious, aren't you? Well, before I show you what it is, I've got to tell you the story. Otherwise, you're not going to see the value in this. So my grandfather, Ken Dufour, passed away several years ago. And I was given the privilege of doing the funeral service and honoring his life. And um, what I did is I, I had a, one of his toolkits. It's a toolbox that was full of things that represented his life. And one of those was this item that I brought today to share with you that's, to me, become invaluable. As I brought each piece out, I talked about his life. Well, the piece that I brought today to share takes us back to World War II. My grandfather uh, served in our United States during that war, and he was a medic. And he was there uh, the days that they stormed the beaches. And as a medic who was a follower of Jesus... Uh, Anybody he would come upon, he would help. He learned that God said, love your enemies and do good to those. Pray for those that persecute you. And as they were coming across into the, further into France, they came across an individual who happened to be for the other side. He was a soldier in the German army, the Nazis. And uh, he was wounded because of the battle. And uh, my father stopped to help him and treated his wounds, 
as undoubtedly this man was taken into custody as a prisoner of war, but treated his wounds. And the man was so grateful for my grandfather stopping that he wanted to give him something, but he didn't have really anything to give. But he had in his possession his dagger. It's a nice dagger. It was part of their dress uniform. And so he gave this to my grandfather as a thank you for helping him. Now, some of you would go, why does our pastor have a Nazi (laughs) dagger? No, I do not agree with anything that Hitler um, led in, in his horrific approach to human life. But this is meaningful to me, not because of the army it represents, but because of the story it represents of my, of my grandfather's love, of him serving people regardless of what side of the field they were on, recognizing that as a medic, he really took his approach, as Jesus would, to love those he came upon and help them. So as I took this out of his, his chest, not his chest, but the toolkit, you know, yeah, <laughs> out of the toolkit, and shared that story, it just reminded me of the value that he had, not just to our life, but to this world and those that he came across. So to me, it's invaluable. I mean, I'm sure this has a price tag attached to it today, but to me, it's invaluable. It's beyond the ability to put an estimation on this value to me because of the story that it shares. And so I keep this as one of my treasures that, he, um, that my uncles decided once I was done sharing everything in that box, I got to keep. And there were some pretty fun things in there that I get to treasure that are invaluable to me in honoring my grandfather's life. Maybe you have something that to you is invaluable. But do you know that when God looks at you, he sees something that is invaluable? In fact, we can look at Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, as he was calling the prophet Jeremiah. He said these words, I knew you. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, before you were born, I set you apart. Probably thinking, yeah, but Kelly, that's Jeremiah. Who am I? The same person that God sees today and says, I knew you. You're important. You're invaluable to me. David picks that theme up in Psalm 139, verse 16. You saw me before I was born, David said. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Think about that. How many of you, you had a baby book for your very first born baby in your family? And that baby book got entered, you know, oh, today, you know, he pooped for the first time, you know, a real, a real poop, you know, or whatever you want to put. And then, you know, and it's just, you got all kinds of things in there with pictures, and you, and you treasure every moment. You write it in the book because it's valuable to you. Then, unfortunately, your second born looks at their baby book and goes, why is mine, like, empty? <laughs> why is nothing written down in my baby book? You know, but, but we get it. There's that, you know, that, but that's how the Lord thinks, right? He's looking at you. It's written down. Every day of my life is recorded in your book. That's how valuable you are to God. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Get this. How precious are your thoughts about me, oh God? I mean, I, I think of God and I'm blown away, but he thinks about us, and it's precious, They cannot be numbered. I I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you're still with me. Jesus was talking about not worrying and about the value that we have before God. And he shares this parable, Luke 12, verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. 
even the little birdies, right? But of all creation, indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. He's got a pretty easy job here. But don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. So on your worst day, you just say, you know what? Jesus said I'm worth more than many sparrows. So get off my back. In other words, you're invaluable to God among all of his creation. God loves his people so much that down to the fine details of our life, he knows. You know, in Luke 15, he shares a parable about our value. But what's cool about Luke 15's parables, there's three of them. It's the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. What I think is interesting, when we look at that parable, we're not going to do it today because that's a whole series in itself. But when we look at those parables, we see the value of a lost item. You're going, yeah, maybe I'm valuable because I'm, you know, because God knows me now and I'm following him. Now, look, this is, these are parables about in your lostness. The first one was the parable of the lost sheep. The shepherd had 100 sheep and one ran away. But that one sheep was so important, he wasn't like, yeah, I got 99 left. What's one, right? I'm sure by tomorrow we'll have a new sheep. We have 99 of them. I'm sure we're going to have another one here pretty quick. But no, he, he went after the one, leaving behind the 99. The value of the lost, even when we're not in right relationship with him, God values you as invaluable and worthy of pursuing to find. When we are lost, we're valuable to him. You know, I ran across the story um, that was published in the Seattle Times this last year. It's quite an interesting story. A story about a guy um, named Mike Robinson. And uh, when he was a boy, he loved visiting his uncle's house. His uncle lived down in California. His family lived in Washington State, and they would drive down to California on special occasions to see his uncle, and when he got to his uncle's house, they'd go through all the formalities of the hugs and stuff, and he made a beeline for a closet located underneath the staircase, because inside that closet was a box, and inside that box, there were some favorite things of young men his age. He was eight this particular visit. There was a bat, a glove, and a baseball. And he loved those three items. And he'd bring them out and look at them, and he would treasure those every time he visited. Well, years had passed, and about the late 80s, his uncle had passed away. And he had hoped that maybe his uncle had remembered how much he valued the box that had the glove, the ball, the baseball, how much he valued those things. And maybe his uncle would leave it behind for him. But his uncle didn't. Instead, the whole estate came up for auction to the family first. And so he bid on that box, the glove, the bat, the ball. It was important to him. And he bid $3,000 to buy the entire box and all of its contents. And he got it. And he was so excited. Took it to his home. Now he's an adult. It's the late 80s when we kind of all of a sudden have this spike in interest of sports memorabilia and collectors and so he begins to think about this bat, because the bat isn't just any bat. The bat actually has a name autographed on it, and the name is none other than Babe Ruth. See, the story behind this bat is that his uncle, when he was a young boy, the year was 1943, his uncle was the all-star that year on his high school 
baseball team. He was the best at bat for his high school and the high schools in the area. And there was a bit of a competition put out that whoever, whichever student became the best at bat that year would win a bat autographed by Babe Ruth. But it wasn't just any bat. This was the first bat that hit the home run, the first home run that year for Babe Ruth, that he would autograph it and give it to whoever won because they were the best hitter. Well, his uncle was the one that won. So it was autographed to him, and there was a plaque put on there with his name. And So he was wondering all these years later, what is this bat worth? You know, it had been in a box along with a glove that happened to also be Babe Ruth's glove autographed and a ball autographed by Babe Ruth. He was just wondering what maybe the value of these were. So he heard about a person who would help him and help apprise the value. He said, I have to take your bat down to California, get it certified, tested, figure out what it's worth. So he sends the bat, never sees it again. person he sent it with, he never hears from him again. The bat's gone. Years had passed, and uh, technology advanced, and he began to set alerts on his phone um, from Google anytime there was a Babe Ruth bat that came onto a market, he would get an alert. Well, one day, sure enough, the very bat that was his came on to be auctioned. He found out who owned it. He went to the court, began to plead his case because he had a certificate of purchase when he bought the bat from the estate so he could verify that it was his. And the owners who owned it didn't know it wasn't <laughs> that it had been stolen, right? So they, they owned it fair and square as well. And so they decided that they would figure out the value of the bat and then split the difference. Well, the bat was evaluated, and that bat, piece of wood, about this long, was worth $10 million. The question is, why does a piece of wood have that kind of value? Certainly any other bat that was used in 1943 probably wouldn't be worth $10 million. Why is that bat so valuable? Here's why. There is a name autographed on that bat. The autograph brings the value to that bat. Friends, can I tell you that each one of you, you have a name written on your heart. And that name is far greater than the greatest baseball player of times, Babe Ruth. It's the son of God, Jesus Christ. In fact, when, when Peter, who obviously would be somebody who would wrestle with his own value, when he was thinking about following Jesus and the cost of following Jesus, he says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16, he says that if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name because that name is valuable. And that name brings value to your life because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. The only reasonable response that we have because God has so valued us is to say, okay, God, I want to return this value for your glory. I want to know that I can do something for you. And my prayer is that you will see how invaluable you are to God and how invaluable you are to God's purposes today at work. In fact, I want you to leave this place today basically saying this, that I am invaluable. I am beyond value, beyond the, the ability to put an estimation to the value. I am invaluable, and I'm invaluable to God's work. That's hard for a lot of people to believe because you look at a place like Neighborhood Church, and you look at 
different people who are involved in ministry and you kind of go, I'm not like them. I didn't grow up in that kind of home. I, I kind of came from a bad background. I mean, if you really knew my story, Kelly, you, you, you wouldn't want to hear it, nor would you use me in any place within this church because that's just who I am. And a lot of folks, they, they look at who they are and they compare it to somebody else. And they say, yeah, well, I think a few people are valuable, but I'm not sure that I am. In fact, if I was gone, I don't think anybody would know. In fact, if I didn't do anything, what, I don't think it would really make that big of a difference. I'm just filler in the church. I just tell you that's not true. Those are the lies that we begin to tell ourselves. That I don't have any value. That I don't have any purpose. Those are lies that we tell ourselves. Oftentimes, it's just to keep us from doing the things that God really wants us to do. Here's the big idea for today. You are invaluable to God and his purposes at work through the body of Christ, through the church. You are valuable to God, yes, and to what he wants to do through the church. You're valuable. In fact, look at what Ephesians 2.10 says, and I love the word that's used here. But Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says, for we are God's masterpiece. Now, he didn't just say, I am God's masterpiece. I mean, certainly, Paul could have, right? I am God's masterpiece. Look at me and behold how wonderful I am. But no, he said, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And I love the way Paul says this, because look what he says. We are God's masterpiece, singular. Not we are God's masterpieces individually. Now, again, you're valuable, but look at what he says. We collectively are God's masterpiece. What does that mean? That means as we each find our place, like he was telling the church at Ephesus, because there were folks there that were slaves, some that were not slaves, Roman citizens. There were women, there were men, there were children. And he's saying, look, we all come together in the body of Christ and we make a masterpiece that we're a part of. On the screen right here behind me, you have a masterpiece. This is a painting that had been painted by none other than Van Gogh. And this is worth a lot of money. In fact, it's estimated to be worth about $100 million. Some say the original painting is worth as much as $150 million. Again, why? Because somebody touched it and somebody autographed it with their hands. And we look at that masterpiece and go, but it's just paint on a board or canvas. It's colors, it's strokes, it's shapes. How could it have such great value? Because somebody took all the shapes, all the strokes, all the colors, and put it together in a masterpiece that is well worth, well worth any money we got to, to pay for it, right? Why? Because every line, scribble, scratch, every paint applied to that canvas worked together in harmony to create this masterpiece. And here's the thing. You might think, well, Kelly, all I am is like a little blue swirl. That's it. I'm just a blue swirl. Okay? Well, guess what? You're a blue swirl in a masterpiece. And if that blue swirl was gone, it wouldn't be the masterpiece. Well, I'm just a little building in the backdrop of that picture. That's all I am. Just a little building. Yeah. 
but you're a part of that masterpiece that has been touched and applied by the hand of the master creator, Jesus, who said, I want you part of my masterpiece because we are God's masterpiece. Paul uses another picture for that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and that'll be our main text for today. So if you have your Bible app, you can open that up, use the notes, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Masterpiece is great, but Paul kind of takes it a little more pointed as he writes to the church at Corinth. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 12, beginning at verse 12, just as a body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentile, slave or free. In other words, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter your backstory. Okay? We were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So he uses this word picture of the human body. Collectively, all these little pieces come together and forms a body. So here's a quick pop quiz, because I want to see how well you know your animal groupings, okay? Your animal groupings. And so individually, this next animal is called a fish, right? But you put them together in a group, and it becomes a very good. You guys passed the first one. Give yourself one point. Here's another picture. Individually, this is a lion, but collectively, they form a, a pride. Very nice. Give yourself two points if you got that one. Here's the third one. Individually, it is a cobra. But you put them together with other cobras, and it forms a really bad nightmare, right? <laughs> the word is quiver. Quiver. I think of the Bible verse that says, blessed is a man whose quiver is full of them. And it's, like, it's not one of these. I hate snakes. In fact, when I see that many snakes, I quiver. And maybe that's why it's called a quiver of cobra. Who knows? So if you didn't get that one, no point for you. Here's the, here's the next one. Individually, these are called crow. You put them together, they are called a murder of crows. Sounds like it's something that Stephen King would write, right? A murder of crows. It's like, who thought of that one, right? A murder of crows? Maybe because the last time they got together like that, they did murder. Who knows? Here's another one. We've got donkeys together, so we, be careful. Individually, it's a donkey. But all together, they are called a drove of donkeys or a pace of donkeys. A drove or a pace of donkeys. So I know that the points are kind of starting to minimize now. Here's an elephant individually, but together they would form a parade of elephants. A parade of elephants. Uh, here's the elk. I know some of you are kind of hoping you'll bag one of those. Individually, it's an elk, but collectively, they form a gang. So be careful. You know, gang violence can come back on you if you shoot one of those poor elk. Their, their boys will come after you. A gang of elk. Here's the cute little ferrets. Oh, they're so cute individually. But together... A group of ferrets is called a business. <laughs> yeah, I'm not making this stuff up. It's called a business. So next time you think about your business, think about all these little ferrets. They're making your business happen. Ferrets, there you go. All right, here, here's a gorilla. 
just strong beast, right? Together, they form a gang, sorry, a band, a band of gorillas. I'm not sure what they play. Maybe it's 80s music, who knows? But they form a band. Yeah, rock and roll, that's pretty much it. Here's uh, lemurs. You've probably seen these little guys before. Guess what a group of lemurs are called? A conspiracy. Yeah, a conspiracy of lemurs, because they sure look like a conspiracy. Don't they got those eyes, those little beady yellow eyes? They're, they're definitely conspiring against you. They are a conspiracy of lemurs. And finally, a rhinoceros alone, we know its name is a rhinoceros. You put them together, they are called a crash. And that makes sense, doesn't it? You put a couple of rhinoceroses together, they form a crash of rhinoceros. Yeah, here's what's interesting. Individually, they have a name that they're identified by. But when they come together, they got a new name, a new identity. Individually, a follower of Jesus might be called a disciple, a Christian, a follower of Jesus. But collectively, we are called the body of Christ, church. By yourself, you're a disciple. But the reality is we were designed to be together. Jesus told Peter, I will build my church. He didn't say, I will build a lot of individual disciples. He said, I will build my church. You're a disciple of Jesus, but you are designed for community. And when we come together in community, it forms the body of Christ, the church of which you are very much a valuable part of the body of Christ. In fact, you are an invaluable part of the body of Christ. He goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 12, 15, Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it should not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye... Where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? He uses a really interesting picture. And just visualize what, what Paul's thinking. It's like if we were all one giant eyeball, that would be creepy, right? That would be totally creepy. But instead, the body's made up of many parts, all of which are important. Now, imagine if you had bought a Mr. Potato Head and you were excited to get it home and open the Mr. Potato Head and get into the internal parts. You know, I have to open his little back door to get to it. And you finally put them together, and that's what it looked like. How, how correct is this, right? Not at all. What if the body of Christ was nothing but a bunch of eyes? People came and felt like all they do is like stare at me. Look at me and judge me with their eyes. That's all they are. Or, or what if the body of Christ was just a bunch of noses? They could smell people. And if you came in and didn't smell just right, they'd probably kick you out because they're just a bunch of noses. They're very nosy. What if that was the body of Christ? Or what if it was nothing but ears? Oops, lost one. Nothing but ears. They hear everything. It's like Facebook. They hear everything. They know everything about me. 
Well, if that's all they were, how effective would the body be if it was just ears? Or what if it was maybe worse than that, just mouths? All they do is talk about me. They gossip and they talk about other people and they just talk, 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 talk. That's all they do is talk. How effective would the body of Christ be if all we were were mouths? Or what if all we were were hands and arms? Maybe doing things, but not necessarily in any sense of order. What if this was the body of Christ? This is just weird. If you were a kid who got a Mr. Potato Head and all you had were arms, you would take it back to the store and say, something is not right with my Mr. Potato Head. I want the rest of the parts of the body. So here's what happens. We look at different parts of the body and we compare ourselves with them. We say, well, that, that person's like an eye and I wish I could be an eye. But because I'm not an eye, I guess I'm not important. See, your own estimation of yourself, your own sense of your value does not amputate or remove you from the body of Christ. Every part has a purpose. When you became a follower of Jesus, you became part of his body. You became part of it. You were wired into it. In fact, I love the way we've already used this psalm a little bit, but the rest of the psalm in in Psalm 139, when David's talking about our bodies, he says this, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. And and we love this. This is a great reason why we value human life at any stage, right? But it goes on. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. Now imagine for a moment that when you were born, that you were born in pieces. Piece at a time came out. That'd be kind of creepy weird, wouldn't it? You'd hope you had the right doctor who knew what he was doing. I mean, imagine Adam and Eve, right? Eve's pregnant, and God says, good news, Eve, you're pregnant. The bad news is the baby's coming out in pieces. And what if Adam said, hey, no problem. You know, we'll just figure it out. Who needs directions, right? We'll just, you know, some assembly required. We can handle this. But aren't you glad that's not the way God saw it? God saw the value of knitting the body together. So when the body was born was born as one body. See, here's the thing. God has knit together, just like he's knit together our bodies, he is knitting together the body of Christ. And every piece is important to the overall health of the body. He's knitting his church together. You're an intentional part of the body of Christ. It's not like Well, I guess he showed up to church, so let's find some way to get him knitted in here. No, you are an intentional part. When you are here, when you're part of the body of Christ, when you're in, you're an intentional part. When you became a follower of Jesus, he said, I've got a place for you in the body. And it's not just filler. I've got a purpose for which you are here. It goes on in Corinthians verse 18. But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them just as he wanted them to be. In the same way that God knit us together in a mother's womb, he put it together just as he wanted it to be. It goes on. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, 
but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. And if somebody's ever done that to you in the body of Christ, I am sorry. If somebody has said you're not good enough or we don't need you, I'm sorry that that's ever happened to you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. In other words, there's parts of the body. Some get covered, some you don't see, some you treat with modesty, right? But they're all valuable. And here's the thing. God has placed the parts in the body the way he wanted them. You're part of that body. Every part is important. Therefore, your part really matters to the church and to God. But here's the deal. We don't determine the value of our part in the body. God does. So you don't look at yourself and go, well, compared to Kelly or compared to so-and-so, who am I? So I must not have value. Look, you don't get to determine that value. God, who has knit you together into his body, he determines how valuable your part is, regardless of how significant or insignificant you think that might be. Let me give you a practical example. Do you, do you know that every part matters, even the parts that are weak? This, this little finger, the smallest of my fingers, it's called the pinky finger. And we mostly know of it because it goes wee, wee, wee all the way home, right? Or when you're having tea, you know, you, you do this, right? But pinkies, come on, do we really need them? They're little, they're, they're insignificant. Here's something maybe you didn't know. This little pinky, it is 50% of your hand strength when it comes to your grip. 50% of the strength is in this little guy for you to grip the way you grip. You don't know that until you don't have the pinky and you figure out how valuable that little piece is. 50% of your hand strength is wrapped up in this little piggy. It went wee, wee, wee all the way home. How about the uvula? Going, careful, Kelly, what is, where are we going here? This is rated G. That's that little thing in the back of your throat, little punching bag that hangs down in the back of your throat, right? Do you know that little muscle actually is a multi-purpose tool? It's a multi-purpose tool. And, then, and you, you kind of wonder why it's there. Maybe it even kind of grosses you out. What in the world is that thing back there? Why do I need it? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One, it, 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 it excretes saliva that helps to line the back of your throat, especially when you're swallowing food. It puts a lot of spit in the back of your throat to help ease the journey. In fact, it produces quite a lot of saliva over the course of your life. Uh, in fact, all your glands together about an Olympic-sized pool of saliva. So yeah, keep salivating. You're doing your part. Keep an organ green. Um, but not only that, that little muscle helps to guide food and beverage down to the esophagus as it closes off the nasal passage and keeps food from going up into your sinus passage. And if you've ever got food up into your sinus passage before because you choked or whatever, you know it's not a very pleasant experience. It's there to keep food from doing that. It also assists your immune system. And in some cultures, not so much America, it actually helps shape the tone of language, of speech. 
That's why a lot of animals don't have this little thing in the back of their throat. Yet we do. We never saw the value of that until today. But there it is. Little part doing its big part to make a difference in your day-to-day routine of life. How about that appendix? Mine's missing. We had a nice funeral for it back in 1989. Not with me no more. But I knew when it decided to get old cranky on me. But you know what? That little guy serves a purpose too. It actually releases good bacteria that assists your intestines. It's got a purpose. A lot of times they thought, why it's there? Let's get rid of it. It's causing problems. No, actually, unless it does get to cause a problem, which mine did, it's actually good for you. Now, here's one we never think about, unless you're a lady. Armpit hair. What's the point? To shave or not to shave, that is the question, right? What does armpit hair do? Well, it aids in ventilation, obviously. It helps to wick the moisture and sweat away from your skin, some bacteria issues that can develop there. It helps to get rid of that. But you know what else it does? It actually releases a scent. Yes, I know, this sounds weird. It diffuses a smell. If you've been to the gym lately, you, you probably know that it does, it does diffuse a smell. But that smell actually is part of what often can attract people to each other. Armpit hair, really important? I don't know. You decide. Some of the most important things that happen are actually done by parts of the body that you don't even think about, that you don't celebrate or honor. Let me make this practical for a minute. How many have ever heard of the name Albert McMacken? Probably not many. How about Mordecai Ham? That's kind of weird, a Jewish name with ham. Isn't that like the Jews don't eat? Anyway, Mordecai Ham. You ever heard of that name? There may be a few. Uh, Bob Jones Sr. Well, maybe you've heard of a Bob Jones. Maybe it's the same one. How about this name? Billy Graham. Okay, so we all know that name. Big part of the body of Christ. I mean, he's done a lot. He's an evangelist, probably had the biggest platform in history. Well, those three previous names were the reason that Billy Graham became the Billy Graham that he became. Albert, the first name that I shared, was a guy that believed in this little rebel named Billy Graham who often caused some problems, spoke into his life and advised that he go to a crusade meeting. He went to the crusade meeting. A guy named Mordecai Ham was preaching. Billy Graham was touched by the message, and so he dedicates his life completely to the Lord, decides to serve him full time. He goes to Bible college and doesn't do so good in Bible college. Kind of lapses back into some problems, and a guy named Bob Jones Sr., president of the college, speaks into his life and challenges him. These are all part of the body of Christ working together. Never heard of those three other names, but you've heard of Billy Graham. But guess what? You would have never heard of Billy Graham if those people had not stepped into their place and did their part to encourage this young man to pursue God's call in his life. How would history have been different had there not been a Billy Graham? Who knows? Maybe some of you wouldn't be sitting in the room today because there wasn't a Billy Graham. Maybe your parents got saved at a crusade or watched him on TV and heard the message and were saved, and that changed the trajectory of your family life. Who knows what significance that would have in history? But here's what I know. There are a lot of people who could have experienced a lot of different kind of life if they had stepped into 
what God has called them to do. And it may have not only changed their own life, but somebody else's life. We don't undervalue ourselves. Every part is important. But here is something that we're going to discover that is equally true as we move on in the passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 24. But God has put the whole body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. Now, you might think that you chose to be a part of his church, but no, 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 no. The truth is that God has placed you, put you within the body because God wants you here. You matter to God. You matter to his church. You matter to us because God has placed you here. But here's the thing. One part, one part has the ability to affect the whole body. One part suffers, right? You know this to be true physically, right? You've had those moments when something suffered in your body and it caused the rest of your body to suffer. Maybe you stubbed your toe, that little pinky toe. You wonder why it's even down there. Why do I need this? You stub it, it affects the whole body. You ever got a hangnail? Little teeny thing. It's amazing how it racks your whole body with pain. One little part affects the whole part. You ever been asleep at night and maybe you slept funny on your arm? The alarm went off, and you went to turn off the alarm, and none of these extensions of your hand <laughs> wanted to work because it was asleep, it was numb, and so you're kind of <laughs> trying to stop the alarm with your fingers that you can't move because your arm is asleep. Listen to me. With all the love in my heart, I believe there are people in the body of Christ who are asleep. And because your part is not serving, it affects the whole body. When one part doesn't serve its job or even does worse, works against it, it affects the whole body. One little thing. What it also means is if that one part is sleeping, it's not serving, that means some other part is doing its job. So when my arm's asleep, guess what has to happen? This arm's got to wake it up, come over here and start moving it around. Now this arm can't do anything except for move this arm. Right? This is what happens in the body of Christ when one part doesn't do its part. And so it stops doing its part because it doesn't feel like it's valuable, but it affects the whole body. Even if your part is not seen. Why should I pray today for the church? That doesn't make that kind of difference. My one prayer, what difference does that make? Well, stop and you'll find out. It affects the whole body. Showing up to work in the preschool, what difference is that? You know, loving on kids one week, a month, what difference does that really make? You stop. You discover it impacts the whole family. So your part is important. Your part matters. And the problem we have in the church today is the overall health of the church is not where it could be because there are parts of the body who are asleep, who are not stepping up. In fact, they're thinking, I'm not that important. I bet if I was gone, nobody would notice. No, don't play that game. Because God has knit you together into this body. And every part needs each other. Because together, we're healthy. Together, we do what God has designed us to do. We're a living body of Christ. But Kelly, I'm messed up. You don't know my story. You know what? Your story matters to God. 
Like, Kelly, my past, it's so terrible. Do you know that your past does not disqualify you from God's present and future plan for your life? In fact, your past often is what God uses in the present and the future to make a difference in the body of Christ. You're a part. What you do, your giving, your prayer, your serving, it matters. doesn't matter how small or big you think it is. It matters. Why? Because God has put together his body. And you're a part of it. And he's not called the body just to come and sit and then walk away and disassemble and then come back together and then walk away. And it's like we amputate every week. That's not what he designed. His body with Christ as the head, each person does its part to advance the mission that Jesus has for our world. Imagine what would happen with me for a moment if everybody who calls Neighborhood Church home, just our local chapter of the body of Christ, what would happen if everybody who makes up this body said, I'm going to step into my part with all of my heart and do what God has called and uniquely gifted and wired me to do? What would happen in the future of a church like that? Well, that's up to God, but I'll tell you what, if every part is doing its part, and we're moving together in sequence and in symmetry and in harmony with what God wants to do, I will tell you his mission will advance, and it will be effective. But with half the body paralyzed, not doing anything, the body will not go the way God has designed for the body to go. You're valuable. Your part matters. Here's the the big idea. You are valuable to God and his purpose at work through the body of Christ. That means you're valuable here, yes, but not to come and spectate. You are valuable to step into it and serve. Maybe saying, but Kelly, I don't know what to do. I've been here a while. I'm not sure what God has designed me to do. Well, here's, here's the thing. There's a class for you right now as soon as we dismiss lunch included, called Find Your Place. If you don't know how God is uniquely gifted and and wired and give you passions, we're going to help you explore those things and help you discover a way you can serve his mission within the body of Christ. Sometimes it's going to be on Sunday right here in the building, but sometimes, you know what, it's actually going to be outside this because his body is not a building. His body is people stepping into their mission right where they live. So you don't know? Stay for the class. You can't make it today? Sign up for the next Find Your Place class. Because my desire, actually my job, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. When we all find our place and step into it and do it, it's beautiful. Van Gogh was beautiful because all the colors and pieces came together. Let's do the same for Christ. Let's pray. Father, right now, in this room, I know there are those that you are challenging. Because they have a sense in their heart that they were designed for more than just coming and sitting and leaving. They were designed for community. They were designed to be knit together into your body, the body of Christ. But they've been silent. Maybe because of their own concern, or maybe they don't feel like they're valuable. Maybe they feel like they have nothing to contribute. And so because of that, they continue to amputate themselves from what you want to do. They don't determine the value that they bring. You do. And to you, they're invaluable. And I pray they would wake up to that reality today, to wake up and say, I want to step into the part God wants me to do. 
I know he's designed me for a purpose, and it's not just to eke out an existence in this world. It's to make a difference, to bring value in life, not only to my own life, but to this world, to this community, through the body of Christ. If you're here today and you're saying, Kelly, I don't know exactly what it's going to be, but I commit today to say yes to God, that I will say I'm in, I'm in, and I'm going to explore what that means further. If that's you, just raise a hand right where you are and say, that's me, I'm in. I'm in. I'm invaluable to the work of God's kingdom. Thank you, Lord. There are those that maybe you gave up on serving because your days you think are over, that your better days are behind you. No, you're still part of the body of Christ. You can still serve. You can still step into that today. So Lord, challenge us to recognize the part we play. And for any who are on the outside looking in, maybe they feel that way because of their own sin, their own brokenness. Lord, we know that in you there is forgiveness, that in you there is restoration and wholeness. And that once we say yes to you, we're part of that great body. So thank you, Lord, that you forgive us. You don't hold our past against us. But as followers of Jesus, we need each other. And we are needed. So we step into that with all of our hearts today. So help us, Lord, to recognize that we are invaluable to you and to the work you are doing through the body of Christ today. Help us to step into it with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.